This podcast is all about learning from other musicians so that you can become the best musician you can be. But today, we're going to talk about the things that you should not learn from other musicians. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit. I'm your host, David Lane. It is great to be with you again. This is episode number 39. This will probably be a little bit shorter than the average episode. I'm putting this out on the week uh, right before I get ready to go up to uh, upstate New York. I'm going to be a little, little ways away from the Albany area. So give me a shout out if you are a listener in that area. Before I get into today's episode, uh, I am aware that... Uh, you know, this podcast comes out every Monday, and uh, this Monday just happens to be September 11th, 9-11. It might not be the case with this podcast as much as it is with my other podcasts, Life in the Pit, but I know that I've I've had a lot of listeners over the years who live in New York City, and I know a lot of people personally outside of uh, podcast listeners who lived in New York City in 2001, and it's always humbling and yet and also amazing to hear their stories at the time. So I know for some of you this is a harder, uh, I mean, this is not an easy day for anybody, but I know for some of you it's uh, particularly hard, if you, especially if you had family or friends uh, that were lost that day. So I just wanted to start by just saying, thinking of all of you, I'm thinking of uh, all of us on this day. So I was having a conversation with my wife and a mutual friend, and we're all musicians, and we've all played in our area for quite a, quite a few things. Uh, our mutual friend actually also plays in two symphony orchestras, so we, we know a lot of professional musicians. My wife and our friend were reminiscing over a conversation that happened in a theater pit uh, I won't say when, I won't say where, but I'll go ahead and say it was for uh, playing the cello. There was this guy who was playing cello for the show, was in the same pit with my wife. And not only did he just act like he was just too cool to be there at this gig and, uh, you know, was very arrogant and took the chance to complain about whatever, uh, but he also mentioned another cellist in the area and proceeded to talk about how bad of a player they were and talked about how like their tone i believe the expression of their tone is crap or it's garbage or i mean it was it wasn't even a little subtle at all it was uh, you know just complete criticism of this other cellist and it would be clear to anybody who knew who they were talking about that this was purely motivated by jealousy because this cellist and at least one of the orchestras was a principal. She was highly regarded by everybody I've, I've talked to and I had worked with this cellist and I would say I, I really can't think of anybody I've ever worked with who was better at their instrument. So the point of bringing this up actually isn't whether or not what this cellist in the pit had to say about another colleague, whether or not there was merit to it. It's that they said it at all, that they felt the need to say it to other musicians. And I don't know what's happened to this guy who made all of these comments that played cello in the pit. I don't know what's happened to him since then. This was several years ago. But I can say 
right away as someone who hires for the for these types of gigs i have never hired him and i don't know really hardly anybody else who has now could but i understand i think he he may be getting work in another area so that leads me to uh you know another interesting question that people have and that is how does he get hired and there are a couple of reasons why. First of all, if you live in an area where the where you do play your instrument well and the level of competition is pretty low, like the supply is low compared to the, to the demand, then you may be able to get away with some traits that you might not be able to get with in other situations or in other areas of the country. But that doesn't mean that even in a small area, it won't cost you. Like I said, I have some influence on who works in this area and who and who doesn't uh, for some gigs out of the year. And, you know, this person, through a secondhand report, had already removed themselves from the hiring pool of when I'm hiring the pit for musicals in this area. And that got me thinking, you know, I have a podcast where we talk about what it is, what are the qualities, what are the tools that you should develop, what are the, the traits that you should develop so that you can become the best musician you can be, so that you can have the most advantageous position of getting the gig that you want. But then you listen to this podcast, and then you meet some musicians in public, and, and if you meet enough musicians, I, I promise you, I guarantee you, you're going to find musicians who emulate everything that we talk about here on this podcast. But it's inevitable that for every two or three musicians or four musicians that you meet that resemble the type of musician that I want you to be, you're going to find someone who at least appears to be just as successful, and yet there's something that they do that you, you just can't believe anybody hires them because they do this thing. And the wrong lesson to take from this would be to say, well, they can talk crap about another musician and they still get hired. So what's wrong with doing that? And of course, what's wrong with doing that is you have to guarantee that you have other attributes that allow you to overcome this uh, shortcoming that you may or may not know is a shortcoming. And you have to be in an area where... You're high enough on the supply line compared to the demand. That's a lot of ifs. Wouldn't it be better if you could cultivate yourself to have enough tools and as few of shortcomings as possible so that you're at the very top of the supply line no matter what the demand is for your area? So I thought about this guy. I also thought about there is a colleague in my area who, as far as I know, has done better in recent years but they have backed out of gigs with very short notice without supplying a sub. I'm not even sure if I could count it on one hand how many times they've done that. Because I've been asked probably at least four times, maybe five, to replace this person in a gig. And one time I was able to do it, but the other times I was not. I've talked to many colleagues about this person, and you know, one of them was just saying it, there are two or three areas in the state where if they did that there, they would not continue to get hired. They did continue to get hired here, and much to this person's credit, I think they've grown. 
but you don't always, depending on where you live and, and what you do, you don't always get that chance to grow. So the sooner that you can get these things right the first time, the better. So I asked my Facebook friends who include a lot of musicians. I just asked them this question. What is something that you have seen a musician do or heard them say in a professional setting that made you think, I'm surprised anyone will hire them? So I got a lot of responses and some of them are redundant, so I'll try to avoid those, but I'm just going to just share some of these. And, uh, you know, I may comment on a few of them, but mostly, mostly I'm just going to list these. So the very first comment is not showing up repeatedly on various shows. Yeah, that's not a good take to go. Uh, I will say uh, there was a guitarist and it's almost funny. They thought that they were showing up an hour early, but they wrote down the wrong time on their calendar and they were actually an hour late and they were showing up at three o'clock for what they thought was a four o'clock show. They showed up at three for a two o'clock show. And, uh, we were, at, we were at intermission and I sympathize with getting a time on the calendar wrong. You know, it's not impossible to do that. That's a, that's a simple mistake. It's one you want to try to avoid, but it's a simple mistake. But whenever something like that happens and, and it, it really throws everything off, I start going over my mind is, is there enough clout to offset that? And in this case, there was not. I've never hired that person again. That was 10 years ago. Now, there was a comment to that comment that, talked, that said being late and sometimes showing up the second it's time for the downbeat. So this means you might be on time, but you're just sitting down when it's time to play. This is not a good practice for a performing musician. You want to be comfortably ready to play on time. And, and this is why a lot of shows have specific calls of a half hour before or an hour before and sometimes more than that. And you need to obey that call as much as you can. And if you can't, you need to make sure that the conductor or, or whoever needs to know, the stage manager or the house manager, you need, you need them to know your situation. Uh, the second category that was mentioned was taking a gig that requires you to play an instrument that you don't play well enough for the gig and not saying anything about that fact until the first rehearsal. So a lot of these comments, I mean, there's a few, there's some few that don't apply to musical theater. Um, but I do find a lot of what goes on in musical theater in, in terms of pits are things that you can apply to all levels of musicianship. But that said, when you play for musical theater, there are a lot of books that require you to play multiple instruments. And, you know, when someone is being hired, they, they need to, before they say yes or no to the gig, they should know what instruments are required and they need to be upfront about what they play well and what they don't play well. Then you at least give the music director an informed choice so that if they hire you anyway, well, that's on them. I love this next comment. It's really simple as far as things that, you know, that you want to try to avoid and that's having an attitude over anything. It just brings things down. And yes, this is so true. Sometimes when you get into dress rehearsals, there's some stressful situations. Again, when it comes to musical theater experience, a lot of times, you know, it's getting the right configuration so that everyone has a place to sit. 
because you know we don't always have the same amount of space allotted to us production after production so it's there's always something stressful having an attitude in certain situations is like pouring gasoline on the fire i have specific people that i will hire knowing that if i was objective i could probably find a few people who could play their instrument better than they do but they have the most admirable attitude that just diffuses stress rather than adds to it and they play their instrument well enough that you can i mean they, they play it well that i'm okay that it's not the best because the other things they add it means so much to me during those times of stress so yeah having an attitude over anything you better be really good at your instrument really good if you're going to do that but why not just chill out don't have an attitude that you share if you have a problem don't don't let it be a public one when you're in rehearsal or performance so here's the next comment subbing out over half of the services and paying your subs less than the service rate so in other words you're taking a gig and then you're probably taking a higher paying gig and then you're subbing out the lower paying gig for less than you would have received for the gig in other words you're marking it up that's pretty dubious i mean economically it makes a lot of sense but the problem is, is uh, it, this is information that can be disclosed very easily it's very easy to find out where you're playing instead of gig a and it's also very easy for your sub to find out what the other musicians were being paid so yeah i would recommend that all right i was glad to get some comments from people who have uh, to my knowledge nothing to do with musical theater so let's talk about one when it comes to teaching and and i want to i want to say this and then I, I might actually have just a little bit of pushback on this one but i i want to share this because you know this was a comment and i do think it's worth discussing the most common scenario i see is musicians who try to teach but have no background in teaching parents will tell me stories about how a great musician friend acquaintance agreed to teach their child but actually had no idea how to teach great musician no teaching skills i also heard the opposite once as well apparently a guy was teaching piano but he couldn't actually play piano again it goes back to not being honest about one's skills and experience or having the arrogance to assume that teaching does not require specialized skill sets so i'm friends and colleagues with the person who said this comment and and I want to go over point by point because I agree with some of them, but I don't agree with all of them. And I actually am not sure I agree with the very first one. And that is the overall concept of musicians who try to teach but have no background in teaching. And maybe I push back on that because I had no background in teaching when I taught my first lesson. You, you get a background in teaching by teaching. Now, there are music education programs you can certainly study on how to teach. To me, it's not whether you have a background in teaching, but are you charging accordingly for your experience? That's one thing. So, the, so this wasn't mentioned, but if you're charging as much as a teacher who's been doing this successfully for 20 years and you're just teaching your first week of lessons, well, that doesn't make much sense. You haven't, you haven't earned that yet. But also, I think an important element is 
having no teaching background up to this point, are you willing to learn as you go? Are you willing to, as I said in a previous episode, give yourself a regular performance review and see what you're doing and what you can improve? But when you're first getting started, you need to do this weekly. You need to be doing this every week, maybe even every lesson for the first few weeks so that you're making that exponential growth so that you can become a respectable teacher ASAP. And then you can continue to work gradually, slowly to become a good teacher and then become a great teacher. But now the next part of her comment, I have seen this before. There were two cello teachers where I went to college. And one of them was the higher shared cellist in the local symphony orchestra, in the professional symphony orchestra. And he was nowhere near the teacher, nowhere near supportive. Actually, I mean, pretty clear that he did not want to be there. Compared to another guy that kind of sat on the back row of the orchestra, was not going to ever really challenge for first chair, but really loved his students and really supported them. It was night and day, the experiences, the temperament, and the skill set that they had as a teacher, in spite of their different strengths as a performer. So I definitely understand that. To the comment that, uh, you know, a guy was teaching piano but couldn't actually play piano. My wife had a, an adult violin student who was actually a retired band teacher. And he offered every instrument he knew on any level at all. And even though he was not an exceptionally advanced learner of the violin he took for only about one or two months before he started offering violin lessons to beginner and um, he hadn't even mastered certain things like basic bow technique and so forth and so yeah that's a (laughs) that is a problem if you're if you're teaching just because you can i took the opposite approach i i studied french horn for 10 straight years and as a high schooler, I went to Allstate Band in Florida three times. As in college, I went to intercollegiate. So I, I knew that I had shortcomings that I decided I wasn't willing to work on to become a professional horn player after I graduated. But I put in the time, and I taught some lessons for a while, and eventually I realized, well, my shortcomings and my lack of passion for this instrument are going to get in the way. I haven't taught horn for at least seven years now. What I teach are the things that I know that I do well. And I'm trying to even refine that further to get to get rid of the things that I do well and get down to the things and the, and the types of students that I teach at the highest level and refine that. That's where my journey is. So yeah, I, it's a completely different approach that I don't always, always agree with. Actually, I don't, I don't ever agree with it. Maybe maybe some of you might, of having just a little bit of experience on a lot of instruments and teaching them privately. It's one thing if you're teaching school band or orchestra, you you will not know how to play all those instruments well, but you're only teaching them for a while to get them to a point. So hopefully you were able to play those instruments up to that point and outsource tutoring sessions. If there are instruments you don't know, I used to go into schools to tutor like the French horn section when, you know, the band director was a a woodwind player. And the last thing that this comment said 
I wholeheartedly agree with, and it's, and this is actually the second time it's come up. It's going back to being honest about one's skills and experience. Speaking of French horn, this next comment comes from a brass player who lives in this area. And, and he says his, his pet peeve is that people, usually brass players and quite often graduate students, I love how specific this is, who show up to church jobs like Easter and Christmas cantatas and proceed to warm up in front of the gathering congregation like it's a symphony concert. Loud, obnoxious arpeggios mixed with orchestral excerpts, often, quite often in small, quaint churches with no consideration for what people are gathering there to do. I don't see how these people get asked back. It drives me nuts. <laughs> there was a reply to that comment. Also as high and fast and loud as possible, bell to the congregation. There are a few related comments uh, to that as well, like playing flashy excerpts or solos that are not on that concert program. In theater, I work with a lot of actors who sometimes, for soundcheck, like to sing anything but what's actually on the show without realizing that that actually is negatively affecting their sound check because they're not getting a chance to sing what's on the show and give the sound person a chance to get the correct adjustment. The next comment was from a local music director and uh, apparently she has heard a musician say, we have until the closing performance to learn our parts. No, that's not true. And by the way, you don't even have till the opening performance to learn your, your part. You have until the dress rehearsals. Only one time have I had to fire a musician for not being able to play their part in the middle of a production. And it was after the first of two dress rehearsals. When the, the playing was so unprepared, it affected the entire performance. I had to arrange for subs for the rest of their run, but we could not go forward. Uh, the, the person told me on the previous rehearsal they would have it by then they did not and you just can't wait that long you have to prepare earlier than you think but yeah it is going way too far to think that you have till the closing performance you're completely completely disrespecting the audiences who most likely paid money to come see and hear an experience that involves your playing and you're not giving them the best don't take the job if that's your standard I don't think this next one needs any elaboration, but uh, one of the things that uh, you want you want to try to avoid is poor personal hygiene, having a bad smell. Oh, this next one's uh, this next one is a good one. Talking during rehearsal when the conductor stops when it wasn't absolutely necessary and pertinent at that moment, it makes it hard for others to hear, and it creates a distracting, chaotic environment. So yeah. There's a variation of this practicing when the when the artistic or the stage director is talking to the cast. Yeah, uh, a variation that I'll also add to this, and, and I've had to go over this with, with some of my younger students, is never stopping playing your instruments. Like you're playing what, what I've asked you to, and then when I'm trying to talk to you about it, you keep playing just whatever's in your on your mind. And I've had to talk to them, talk to parents. And I think the common theme here is play when it's appropriate to play and don't play when it's not appropriate to play. So yeah, be mindful of those boundaries, whether you are a student, whether you are a performer, whatever the situation. Uh, the next comment from an orchestral musician is excessive individual note checking with the conductor during rehearsal when it could be done with a score online or prior 
or post-rehearsal with the conductor. In other words, you should be mindful that you're not taking up an excessive amount of group time for something that really is just applying to you as an individual. And it's okay if you do it once, but if you, you know, if you find yourself doing it three, four, five times, you're, you're, you're overstepping that bounds and you're creating a problem for the rest of the rehearsal. Right. I like this comment. It says one thing that will keep me as a music director from rehiring a musician is if they can't or won't take direction. It doesn't matter if you think it's right or wrong. If the music director gives you a note, be respectful and professional and just take the note. Without naming names, there are two incredibly talented musicians that I will no longer hire because they will not take direction from me. When you're a musician, you are a collaborator. You are working with others. And unless you are completely a solo artist like a pianist or a harpist or someone who most of the time just plays by themselves, if you're working with even one other person, it is either a democracy or there's some degree of authoritarianism in there. And whoever is deemed to be in charge, it doesn't matter at that point. You can make suggestions on the side and even ask what if, but if they say, no, I'd rather do it this way, you need to do it that way and not make a big deal about it. This comment says, folks who play one dynamic of loud Another one said, those who go back and forth with the music director to show how educated they are. <laughs> yes, when, you're, when you are a musician, even if you are very knowledgeable, try to present yourself well, do your job well, lead by your example, not by all the things you have to say, says the podcaster who talks exclusively about <laughs> music and musicians. This comment didn't quite address the question directly in terms of, you know, what are some things that you see people do, uh, doing that they should not do? Um, this answer kind of goes more into what should you do, but I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and read it because I think it's good. Listen to a recording before the first rehearsal. This will give you a tremendous head start in preparing your part. And of course, this is assuming this is not a premiere, um, but it's something that has an existing recording. A second point is, is that it's not funny to act like a joker because you don't know what's going on when others did their homework and you didn't. And then there was an echo about the, the comment of the obnoxious warm-up, sometimes from brass players at church events. Uh, it was just a helpful alternative. If you're pressed for time and you're concerned about being warmed up, there are tools that you can use to warm up in the car. If you're a brass player, there are things called practice mutes or... Perhaps revamp your schedule so that you're not arriving feeling insecure. All right, no elaboration on this comment. It's just a quote that they've heard from another musician. I've never done a show sober. <laughs> kind of related to having an attitude, this comment uh, came from a, from a colleague. Inflexibility, but especially arrogance. Verbal negativity. Overall, not being a team player. And then the last comment that I'll share from a musician who says, people who leave their own personal trash, concessions, wrappers, cups, bottles, etc. in the pit area for the duration of the show. So yeah, keep, keep your performance environment clean. It'll make you look like a professional and it's very respectful to others. 
So I'm going to see if I can real quick kind of summarize all of this into a few short things. One of them is honor your commitments. So if you agree to do something, you need to do it. If you can't do it, you need to provide your sub and you need to make sure that, that sub is competent and you need to pay them what you would have been paid. Secondly, you should be respectful to everyone with whom you're collaborating, whether that be the musician next to you, whether that be the director, whether it be other musicians in the area. Always show respect. It doesn't matter what you really think because no one wants to hear it. And no one will think any better of you because of how well you can criticize someone else. And you're also being respectful to the audience by being prepared and not doing obnoxious things during warm-up that create an awkward pre-concert or pre-worship or pre-show environment. And the third thing is taking up time that doesn't need to be taken up. So that means practicing well in advance. That means finding answers to things either online or in private conversations that's not during rehearsal time. Fourth would be kind of a prevailing theme in a lot of comments. Be honest about your qualifications and your experiences. So musicians, let me know what have you seen? Is there something that we didn't mention? What, what have you seen in your experience that people do, that uh, your colleagues do, that you're just surprised anyone keeps hiring them? Or you're surprised that they got hired at all? This is the kind of thing that would be really fun if you would share this in a voicemail. So if you're willing, go to speakpipe.com, S-S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com slash musician toolkit and leave me a voicemail of your experience. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can leave me just a plain message by going to my website, davidlanemusic.com, and you can uh, go directly davidlanemusic.com slash contact. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you would share it with a friend. And check out my link for Fonz in the show note for a free trial for an app that will save you time and stress and effort on collecting payments and keeping up with your schedule with your clients. That's all I have for today. I look forward to being back with you with episode 40 next week. I'm so glad to be uh, already 40 episodes into this podcast. And that's going to be a good episode for you next time. So until then, thank you so much for listening.